one. Presto, there it is. Welcome, 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 everybody. We got a beautiful Monday, and uh, we're going to talk all about the relationship escalator. This is going to be fun. Practicing polyamory, real-life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory. The mission of the Practicing Polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the real-life flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community. Enjoy the show. All right. I don't know about you guys. That gets me dancing every time. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Before I jump in, I just want to quickly remind everybody of three three things. Uh, number one, I have two more. I'm at 98 YouTube subscribers. I need two more. So if you're listening, watching, wherever it is, head on over to YouTube, do a quick search for the Practicing Polyamory podcast and hit that subscribe button. Once I get to 100 subscribers, I can finally do my custom URL and I'll stop bugging everybody. Uh, But while we're at it, Follow me on all social media at Practicing Polyay. Would really appreciate that. And uh, now jumping into the second thing, number two, uh, I have an interview with Dr. Eli Chef, Dr. Elizabeth Chef, this Friday at 11 a.m. It's a special time. Uh, I'm really excited about that. She's the author of The Polyamorous Next Door. She's the foremost expert on polyamorous families. Uh, And she's got a new study going on. Uh, It's called The Bonding Project, talks about how we bond with people in relationships, all this good stuff. So uh, if you want to know what we're talking about on that day, head over to bondingproject.com. Take that bonding type test uh, that we know what we're talking about again Friday, this Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific time, 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, And the last thing, just a reminder. If you're listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on the show. If you're actively polyamorous, if you're polyam curious, if you're a professional serving the polyamorous community, if you are gay, straight, queer, trans, lesbian, NB, ace, arrow, whatever it is, I want to hear your story. The more stories we hear, the more the world learns about us, the better we can serve our community. All right, that's my monologue. That's my spiel. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's get on with the show. Today's guest has been practicing polyamory since the early 90s, and she is one of the few ASECT certified sex therapists in the state of Colorado. Having been trained in the heart of San Francisco, the promised land of inclusivity and acceptance, she specializes in working with those in the LGBTQIA community as well as those in the kink and non-monogamous circles. She is passionate about helping people live their best lives and utilizes an attachment theory lens to guide her clients toward reclaiming the space between them as joyful and exciting. Tune in as we explore the relationship escalator and breaking down our internalized messages to achieve our best relationship landscapes right now. Joining us today from Mile High Psychotherapy in Denver, welcome to the show, Indigo Stray Conger. Awesome. Thank you. Indigo, thank you so much for joining. Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks. It's great to be here. It's fun. <laughs> we're we're all about energy, you know. We like to have a good time and uh, you know, we're just going to bring that vibe. So, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh let's start with uh just kind of your journey through polyam since the early 90s, way before yeah. all of this research was being done. There was there wasn't a name to describe it. Uh, tell me a little bit about that journey and how it led you to becoming a therapist where you are today. 
Sure. So I was a bisexual woman coming of age in the early 90s. And uh, certainly not all bisexual people identify as poly, but for me, right from the get-go, it made a lot of sense to have a girlfriend and a boyfriend and to have them be honest and active with one another. Uh, so I was the pivot in a lot of these. I was the mm-hmm. unicorn for a few couples, and I had zero terminology and zero support for all of that at the time. Yep, yep. Uh, there was there were none of those labels, at least not that I knew of. We had the first edition of Ethical Foot, and it was very different than the version that's out there now, and nothing else. There was not mm. social media at the time. There were not a bunch of books. There were not podcasts like this one that could help you figure yourself out. So, right, right. Um, I was just trying to be out there and not be a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) That works. That works. Uh, I'm I'm listening, uh, re-listening to uh, the polyamorous next door. And one of those major rules is don't be a dick. Right. And so that was, that was pretty much it. I, I almost imagine just going through and, 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 and kind of listening to her book. Like when was she doing all of that stuff? I'll have to ask her on Friday. Uh, but like in the early nineties, like that just seems to be kind of the prime of everything really coming together and terminology and all this stuff. When, when did you first hear the term and how did it change your life? Gosh, you know, I don't really even remember when I first heard the word poly. Um, it may not have even been until I really started my professional career. So I've been a therapist now since 2008, and I've wor- I've served mostly the consensual non-monogamy population since then. Mm-hmm. Um, and at some point in there, I probably heard the term poly, and it was awesome. Uh, and it was it's been really cool to see all of the different tools and vernacular that are out there for the whole relationship landscape that just weren't there when I was coming of age. Um, you know, terms like pansexual, for example, I I still identify as bisexual because that's how I grew up in the 90s. Uh, But even then, I remember thinking that that term was flawed. And so now we have people, young people who are really embracing different labels, right? Pansexual, queer, looking at what really fits the best for who they are. Right, right. I love it. It it definitely has made a huge difference. So you got into your practice, you started doing all of this, and you specifically went to serve the polyamorous, non-monogamous community. Well, I didn't start out that way. I mean, it wasn't a goal, but honestly, right from the beginning, I had so many colleagues who would send clients to me or tell me they had no idea what to do with them. And so I pretty quickly became the go-to person for consensual non-monogamy, particularly when I came to Colorado, where there's a huge non-monogamous community. But unlike Mm -hmm. San Francisco, it's not just a given that people are inclusive or exploring their sexuality. There's a a lot of conservatism here. There's a lot of people who've never even heard of Holly, even now today. So um, I became a helpful resource for people pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. When it's not there, it's just one of those things that you kind of become that expert when you're almost the only one doing it. So that's fantastic. And thank you for doing that. I'm, I'm so glad that, uh, you know, the state of Colorado has that now, uh, or they, you know, you were one of the first ones to, to jump in there and do that. So yeah, unfortunately, I'm not the only one anymore. There are a whole lot of us. You can go see to help your relationship for sure. <laughs> that's it's, you know, that's not a bad thing. That's a good problem to have, if you will, that there's so many people out there, that there's so many more resources. Um, it, it's it's wonderful. I want to dive right into this uh, relationship escalator thing. I mean, you are a big fan of dismantling the relationship escalator. Let's talk a little bit about that and what that means to you, just on a big, broad scope. What does that mean to you? 
Sure. So if you've never heard that phrase before, it basically means that it's the default set of assumptions that most people go by. It's all of the media that we see with the romantic comedies where this is what happens, this is what happens. And then, you know, you, you get married and you have kids and you live happily ever after in this monogamous way. Right. Mm -hmm, so that's mm -hmm. all the information that we're fed about. This is what happy lives look like. This is what love looks like. You meet one person and this is the trajectory you go on. Uh, and so one of the big things I do and particularly with people who actually are, are not even consensually non-monogamous that I see is to start to break down those assumptions that they have. Why did you assume that the best thing to do was get married next or have kids next or move in together next? And um, once we start to break down those assumptions, people have a lot more freedom. Oh, maybe I want to have more than one partner. Maybe I want to have one partner, but we are not living together. And that doesn't mean we're any less committed, right? So mm -hmm. there's tons of assumptions there. <laughs> My question to you is, if we're not on the escalator, then how do we know that our relationships are evolving? How do we know that we're growing? Like, what other signs, what other things do we have to look for or to look forward to uh, that tells us that we're actually experiencing growth and fulfillment in our relationships? Well, interestingly, once you start to strip away that surface layer of all those assumptions, we all know when we're falling in love and we all know when we're feeling good in a relationship. And those external markers actually are not at all that useful unless we assume that's what we are supposed to do. That's what things are supposed to look mm -hmm. like. Uh, so you meet somebody and you really connect with them and it can go many, many different ways. And it's a positive for the connection that you two share. You can meet someone who lives across the country and develop a relationship with them that goes on for years that never has words like boyfriend and girlfriend in it, right? That might never even have sex in it for a long time. Mm -hmm. ever. And it still is a relationship that is core to your life, core to who you are, and fills a lot of emotional needs for you. That's absolutely true. I mean, there's a lot of relationships like that. I mean, we see it all the time, especially now, thank you, internet, where we have these communities that we can connect with all kinds of polyam folks and, you know, whatever non-monogamous. And we have those long distance relationships. Zoom, especially over the pandemic, right, has been huge. It's been uh, everything that, that that has helped us stay connected. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I still, I, I totally agree with you that we, we know what the feeling is. We know what that is, but I, I still think that some people will struggle. I mean, I, I, I personally will struggle with it. I'm, um, you know, going through through a situation right now where I did expect the relationship escalator, you know, I mean, growing up, I always expected that I was going to be monogamous and, you know, get married, have kids grow old together, all that good stuff. Uh, when I finally went and got married, you know, we dove right into non-monogamy and now, you know, we're splitting up going to, you know, maintain our, our, uh, a good friendship and everything like, uh, but but now, you know, I, I'm not on the relationship escalator mm -hmm. in either one of my partnerships. And so, you know, I, I feel like there's myself and plenty of people like me who are just wondering, well, if, if we're not going there, then what is it that we're looking for? What is it that we that we can look forward to? What can we hang on to? What is it that that, you know, starts to define a relationship if it's not just time? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's two things in what you just said. And one, I noticed when you talked about, okay, now we're we're going to keep the friendship, right? There's an inherent feeling of like it's a demotion or mm-hmm. it's less valuable, right? And we, it's really insidious how we carry with us this idea that a relationship is successful if you hit that finish line on your deathbed and you're still together. <laughs> and you, know, you hear people all the time like, geez, this couple's been married for 26 years and everyone claps. And it's like, well, you don't know what that 26 years have been like. Maybe it's been pretty darn miserable. Right. Uh, That's not really saying a lot, right? And friendships in our lives, the relationship that you continue to have with the person who you're no longer defining yourself as having this romantic relationship, um, maybe that friendship really is a demotion, but if you allow it to have the space to continue to grow and bloom and be whatever it needs to be, it might continue to have nuances and depth that go way beyond what it was when you labeled yourselves partners. Um, and then the other piece of what you were talking about in terms of what do we look for if we're not looking for the escalator, I, I work with my clients on that all the time, is what makes your relationship sacred? So sometimes that has to do with sex. Sometimes it has to do with being a nesting partner and living together. Um, sometimes it has to do with you share the same TV show that you love or you geek out on the same comic books and that that is sacred to you. That's something you share that you come back to. Um, it doesn't always have to look like that external marker that society has laid on us since we were little kids. <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. It's really interesting to think of it in, in those terms. Cause I know that, uh, you know, I personally and, and others, you know, we, we see these external markers that you're talking about and that is, you know, the definition of success. It's like every relationship, I'm the type of person that the relationships that I get into, I want them to last, you know, essentially a lifetime, you know, in one way or another. Uh, So this is an evolution of the relationship, not the end of the relationship. Uh, And, you know, talking about, about seeing those, those, the friendship, kind of take on those new nuances and the new depth. You know, I, I was wrapping my head around it, trying to wrap my head around it last night, like just walking and thinking like, what does it mean? Like, where does it go? What is that depth? What's next? What does it look like? You know? And I think, and tell me if I'm, if I'm on the right track here, it really is for me about digging deep into discovering what I want from the relationship. Would you, would you? Absolutely. Yeah. And what you both want together, which uh, you're stepping off the precipice into a place where you can't just fall back on the defaults of society because the defaults of society say you broke up, you should be done with each other. Right. Right. Now you really have to, to fly on your own and figure out what do I want? What does my partner want that I'm no longer labeling a partner anymore? And how can we grow and evolve together? And, and it can be swimming upstream. I, I live with a partner who at that time, it was a monogamous relationship that I was in. We were together for six years. Um, and when we separated, I was going to move to Colorado, but I wasn't going to move to Colorado until I was all done with grad school. And that was like eight months later. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone said, well, you got to move out. I was like, why do I have to move out? We're not romantic sexual partners anymore but we are really good friends and we are really connected and we actually had a great eight months together even though we were no longer in any way not romantic sexual partnership and i'm so glad i didn't listen to everyone else and have a really stressful time trying to find an apartment for eight months in san francisco (laughs) yeah again this is this is pretty common for for those of us in the community right where uh we we get to a point where a relationship might end but because of the communication that we have, the, because of the uh, communication communication skills and and that the idea of the relationship escalator not being everything, we have 
and and I say we as in like polyamorous folks uh, or you know non-monogamous maybe in general, we have more of a chance of being able to maintain that friendship where, as you were saying, somebody else would be like, no way, you got to move out of there. And yeah. like for eight months, you'd be just going crazy trying to mm -hmm. manage your own apartment and you know the move <laughs> during school. My really close friend, my life partner that had been with me. Why why would I abandon that when we still have a lot of really good things to share? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. And th that is something I'm I'm saying it and kind of want to ask you about it. That is something that we see more in our communities than in monogamous communities, right? I mean, Absolutely. that's just kind of a, a trend, a, a benefit, I guess. Yeah, because there's once you open up the door that there's not this one person that's your person. And when you break up, that means that you were wrong about your person. You made a mistake and you failed at that relationship and you've got to go out there and find your other person. Once you get outside of that template, there's so much freedom to see people for who they are and let relationships evolve for what they are. Because being in love and connected to one person doesn't preclude meeting someone else and being like, hey, this person's fantastic. Let's see what they've got to offer to my relationship landscape. Yep, totally. And speaking of finding another person, and if you're willing to share like what, what you were going through, I mean, uh, dating in our communities or dating in general, uh, when you talk to your clients, what are some things, especially right now, you know, pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, things are changing, right? We've had this 12 months of really, really stifled uh, social interactions. Like there has hardly been any, you know, if any at all for a lot of people. Um, what, what are some things, but we're starting to open up though. Like everything, we're, we're starting to get back to normal. So what are some things that you might, uh, be seeing out there as we start to transition from this, from the COVID world, from the, you know, zoom everything and make connections online to getting back out there and actually meeting people in person. Yeah, well, one of the things that happened during the pandemic was that my clients were a lot better equipped to have conversations about risk and safety than any of my monogamous clients were because they were already having those clients around or they were already having those conversations with partners around STIs and fluid bonding and things like that, right? They were already able to have those open, honest and active conversations with people they were going to date. And so they were pretty able to translate that into, okay, well, now we're just having that conversation about masks and six foot distancing and what people's risk level of tolerance was right mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and so now that we're starting to ease back into being able to see people more i'm hoping that a lot of my clients are able to go back to seeing multiple people again if they're more solo polyamorous or if they're identifying as single right now that they're able to see more people because one thing that happened was a lot of people had to just make the decision that the risk of just seeing somebody and having skin-to-skin -skin contact or being six feet or indoors was essentially the equivalent of needing to disclose that you had sex with someone to another person, right? right? It's like, right. Yep. so now hopefully if you are seeing people that have been vaccinated or the numbers are getting really low, we can go back to not necessarily needing to disclose to every single person you might have a coffee day with that you had a coffee date with someone else, right? Right. Yep. Do you think that there are any like lasting effects? Is there anything that like people are just going to have to kind of, get used to again? 
Well, I don't know if this is necessarily a poly discussion, but what I'm seeing in a lot of my clients in general and is being talked about in, in media in broad terms is that we've all been really excited and waiting for these after times so things can go back to normal. But our bodies and our brains have gotten used to a year of being kind of agoraphobic and freaked out about being close to people. And so even the people I know who've been vaccinated, even the people I know who were really looking forward to getting back on OkCupid and finding new partners are hesitant because they now have this learned sense of anxiety and fear around it. And so mm -hmm. that's something that hopefully is not going to stay forever, but that we are going to have to work through intentionally. It's not just going to automatically fog is lifted and everything is the way that it was in 2019. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was talking to somebody today and kind of coming to this realization that like, like we have a lot of us are going to have like a pandemic PTSD. Like there's a lot of stuff that happened. You were talking about agoraphob agoraphobia, like a lot of us are kind of like, OK, like we're going to go out and like meet people and see people and like like mm -hmm. touch people and give give people hugs again and like. I imagine that people who already were kind of socially anxious and you know like this really pulled them back and what advice can we give to people that you know have have struggled with it in the past and now over the past 12 months they've you know become even more introverted like what advice can we give to them to kind of help them step out and get back into the world so being super intentional about it, instead of just expecting it to organically happen, pick people in your life that you trust, whether that's a friend or a partner that you haven't been seeing. And once you get to a level where you feel like you're ready to have closer contact again, whether that's because you've been vaccinated or the numbers are super low, uh, you know, make a date with them and say, I know that I'm going to probably feel kind of tense in my body. So let's do this incrementally and talk about it. And let's pick a context that isn't uh, super loud or, or feels like it's anxiety provoking. Like maybe let's do this at one of our houses that we feel really comfortable in and really get curious about what's it like to hug you again? What's it like to cuddle again? What's it like to talk closely without masks and to let that be a process that isn't just, okay, we're just getting back to normal. It's a process of allowing in that connection again to other human beings, which is so important for our mental health. Yeah, I totally agree. And it is going to be a, a process. It's not going to be just an instant, like you said, lift the fog and that's it. Right. So, so you know, it's probably not advisable to say, okay, I'm just going to get back on OkCupid and start going on normal dates again. You're probably <laughs> going to have some tension and anxiety if you don't first do those incremental steps of, all right, who are the people I haven't gotten to see? Who are the people that I want to get that skin to skin touch with again? Doing that first and then meeting the new people once you've already started to work a little bit with that layer of anxiety that's there. Mm -hmm. Yep. And you mentioned uh, OkCupid, you mentioned OKC uh, as as one of those dating, you know, um, apps that are out there, you know, and, and one of the things that we're probably going to have to think about as we're getting back out into the world, as we're starting to develop uh, new relationships and, and dating and all this stuff happens, starts happening again, is those relationships with our metamors, mm -hmm. right? And I know that this comes up a lot as well this comes up you know really often in the facebook groups problems within with with metamors um what are do you have like communication strategies do you have maybe some stories about about communication or 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 uh difficulties with with metamors and kind of the way that they were resolved yeah that's a really broad question but um really broad 
in in general, one of the main things that I like to say is that if I have someone who is really anxious already about a metamor, has a lot of jealousy or insecurity, and so they're hesitant to meet them in the first place, um, I, I don't say to rush into meeting them, but to consider that that person becoming a real person is really going to cut down on those anxieties. So start by having maybe some texting back and forth, and then maybe have like a Zoom conversation or a really easy uh something at the house where you your partner and your metamor are all there and it's really brief you're not watching them be affectionate you're just having coffee for 20 minutes before your partner and your metamor go out on a date or something so that you're incrementally building up to that sense of tolerance and finding where your edge is without expecting that you need to be best friends with this person mm -hmm. but trying to find that edge where you're close enough to them that again they're a real human being they're not some made-up person in your head that starts to become a little bit of an intense monster <laughs> yeah that for me that's why like doing uh kitchen table poly is more important for me is because that that person like i need to see that person that person like needs to be real for me um not that it's necessarily a deal breaker for some people it might be um i'm not sure yet <laughs> but you know having that that visual being able to meet that person i remember you know when when uh my partner first started dating hers. It was almost a year before I met him. And when we finally did meet, like we got along great and everything was great. And it was like, well, what was the big deal? So mm -hmm. I love that. And if you can have just a little bit of ease, you can see how many obstacles that erases, right? So you can have a birthday party and they can both be there and it's not a big deal. Or if an emergency, what it was. Comes up, you can have them coordinate, you know, if someone's got to come. Mm -hmm get you at the hospital or whatever, like it's, they are friendly enough that everyone can just settle in to some ease with one another. It's the best. It's the best. So one last, uh, well, maybe one last, uh, this might be an, an, a nice topic here. Um, question kind of from the crowd, crowdsourced. What is one big misconception about polyamory that you would like to correct? Oh gosh. There's so many misconceptions right, in the world. But I would say that the biggest one is that people who are polyamorous are sex obsessed or they just want to be slutty, right? Um, that Sex really has very little to do with poly for most people. It's a sense of wanting to connect to more people uh, for the value of what that relationship has instead of, again, picking that one person that you are 100% committed to and that you're only supposed to have eyes for. So um, it's great. I mean, sex positivity is awesome and having lots of sex is awesome if that's your thing. But the vast majority of people that I work with and people that I know, um, sex can be great, but it's not because you're obsessed with it and having tons of it. It's because you're open to the possibilities and really connecting to human beings for who they are. I love that. I totally agree with that too. Uh, for me, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's that ability to, you know, be with somebody, but still have that openness, that ability to connect with somebody else. And for that new relationship, whatever it is to not have any, any limits, you know, it's, it, 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 there's a funny one that's going around. It's like, uh, it's so, it's so messed up in monogamy that, uh, you know, if you have a really great connection with somebody and you fall in and you know, you hit it off and everything's going really well. Like you can't be with somebody because somebody else got there first. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it really, I mean, this is a much bigger topic. We don't have time to get into, but the whole concept of, attraction to human beings for the whole of who they are, which includes sexual attraction um, as being something that is inherently monogamous for most people is just 
a lie. Even if you identify as monogamous, even if you choose to have one partner, you're going to be attracted to other people sexually right. or otherwise. And so to deny that is going to be a big problem for your relationship. It, it can be. I mean, some people pull it off for decades and whatever. I mean, it doesn't necessarily, I, I, I I mean, I don't know. I, well, don't, I don't think it's necessarily... not saying that you have to act on that attraction. But if you deny that you find other human beings attractive sexually or as human beings in general, then you're really not dealing with reality. Right. If you tell your Got partner, yeah. you're the only human I see. I have never noticed someone walking down the street. I've never had an intriguing <laughs> conversation with somebody who I thought might be interesting. You're just not really having an honest conversation. then. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> That that clarifies it. That totally makes more sense. All right, Miss Indigo. Well, uh, I want to thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us. And if anybody wants to work with you, can you tell me a little bit? Uh, and we do have a listening audience. for So for anybody who's listening on the podcast, what's the best way to get in touch with you? And what do they need to know about working with you? Sure, you can get in touch through milehighpsychotherapy.com that's scrolling across the bottom of the screen. Just reach out, email me, text me. Uh, you do have to be in the state of Colorado. A lot of people um, are thinking that since teletherapy, you can see people anywhere, but because of licensure requirements, you do have to be located in Colorado if you want to see me. Um, if you're looking for a therapist, uh, even if you're in a different state, please feel free to reach out and I'm happy to help find a good person for you because I do know the different ways that you might be able to find the best poly professional for what you need. Mm -hmm. Perfect. And just on a, a technical uh, note, what type of therapy do you practice? Is it CBT or DBT or just out of curiosity? So CBT and DBT are really specific methodologies. And I do have some similar scope of practice with what I'm doing. I do a lot of mindfulness techniques. My background is in somatic psychotherapy, which is body related psychotherapy. So I bring in a lot of neurophysiology, a lot of attachment, adult attachment styles, if you're familiar with that. Um, and I work with couples, triads, individuals uh, through that lens. And hopefully, fingers crossed, I'll be working with people in person soon as well as just on Zoom. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I really appreciate it. Uh, and thank you, as always, to our live audience as well. As a reminder, when we're live, you don't get any commercial interruptions, but the same cannot be said for those podcast downloads. So if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday, uh, 2.30 p.m. Pacific time or sign up for our Patreon where you get access to that commercial free RSS feed and you can support the show. Don't forget to head over to uh, the uh, bondingproject.com between now and this Friday so you know what Dr. Eli Chef and I are talking about and subscribe to YouTube if you haven't already. Thank you again, Indigo. Really a pleasure. Thanks. Bye. All right. Thanks, everybody. You all have uh, the most beautiful day. Well, I'll let mankind say it. Have a nice day. Thank you for tuning in to the Practicing Polyamory podcast. Would you or someone in your polycule like to be a guest? Sign up at practicingpolyamory.com and join the conversation. Please support us by subscribing, liking, and following us on social media at Practicing Polya by clicking any of the affiliate links on our website or by subscribing at patreon.com slash practicingpolya.